I had a couple weeks where I didn't have to teach, uh, which is on purpose, uh, not just so that I'm not teaching, uh, but I want us as a community uh, to hear different voices, um, because different voices bring different perspectives, and quite honestly, um, you can get not just tired of my voice, <laughs> which probably happens more than I'd like to admit, uh, but also uh, it can start to feel redundant at times. Uh, and so I want us as a church, um, I don't want us to be about a personality, I don't want it to be about my personality, I don't want it to be about Jordan's personality, uh, I recognize the role that leaders play, but uh, I really think that it's important that uh, we sit under the teaching uh, of gifted, called, godly uh, men and women, and so um, I'm really grateful for Justin, able to be here a couple weeks ago, uh, did a great job, and then uh, to have uh, Chris Conrad, who was here last week. I love Don't Live for the Scratch, if you remember, so good. Um, but I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, we announced um, that Allison is leaving us and got a chance to pray over her. I think you probably would have also seen inside your uh, program um, that we have a new hire who is replacing Allison. It's a really long story that I don't have time to share, but it's super, super cool. Uh, her name is Jacqueline. And did she just step out? She just, there, oh, there she is. Everybody, look at Jay. You see Jacqueline, wave real high for us. Awesome. Uh, so it's a long story uh, of how God orchestrated and ordained all of this. Uh, we were really freaking out when Allison uh, told us that she uh, was being called down to Houston. Uh, we knew that that was always a possibility. Uh, and then um, when Jacqueline came and said, well, I've actually been praying about this. Uh, before I ever knew that it was even a po uh, an, an option, um, we were like, God, you're so gracious, and uh, Jacqueline is going to be killing it, just like Allie did, and so we're super, super glad to have her. Um, I have an announcement for us at the end of the service, and uh, so I will uh, share that in a bit. But before uh, we do that, I I'd like for us to jump into our text, Uno Momento. 2005, um, I had been a youth pastor for, a middle school pastor for four years at Calvary Church. Calvary Church uh, had planted a church called Mars Hill in 2000 uh, with Rob Bell, and it had blown up. I think there was about 1,200 people that left Calvary Church to go with Rob to plant that church, and uh, uh, they were a lot of Calvary's, what I would call, young or younger thinking folks, okay? So I had been there for about four years. I loved it. I loved what I was doing. Uh, I really enjoyed being a middle school pastor. Uh, 
In fact, there might even be one or two of my middle school students from that time that's here today, which is crazy to think about. I'm getting really old. Uh, But 2005, I said to the leadership at Calvary, I was like, guys, um, when I have a friend that comes to town that moves to GR, this isn't the church that I usually recommend to them. And I'm like, I I don't want to be at a church that I wouldn't recommend to my own friends. It's not because Calvary's not a good church. It's a really good church, but... Like, we're just not doing a whole lot to try to pursue young adults or really younger thinking people. And I said, I think we need to do something about that. And they were really gracious and agreed. And uh, I pitched uh, uh, basically a new service called Missio Day. It was supposed to be for kind of young adults uh, on up to whatever. Now, um, about a year earlier, uh, a guy had moved, he and his wife had moved to Grand Rapids. He had taken on a role at Calvary. He was our college pastor. His name was Greg. Greg and I um, were peers. I was, he was the college guy. I was the middle school guy. We all were kind of underneath the student ministries pastor, and he and I had become really good friends. In fact, quite honestly, he was my best friend uh, on the team. Uh, we enjoyed hanging out. Uh, we enjoyed doing things together. And so when I went to uh, the elders, I said, I'd really like to do something uh, to create a service that's going to connect more with young adults. They were like, Torn, that's awesome. We want you to lead that. We're actually going to take college ministry and place it underneath uh, underneath this new ministry, and instead of it being connected to student ministries, and so uh, Greg and I um, had we, we had been good friends, and uh, it was a little bit strange to have to go to him. Now I was a little bit older; I had a, a little bit more ministry experience, but uh, basically, college ministry came underneath me, and so uh, Greg was a direct report uh, to me. Uh, um, but it was, didn't feel too weird. Maybe a little bit more for him than it did for me. But we just said, "Hey, look, we want to do this together." Okay, uh, he had a similar vision for, for what he wanted to see happen, even with, with college ministry. And uh, I think, yeah, would he have loved to have been the guy that they had asked to kind of start this new thing? Probably. Um, but they had asked me, and, and I just said, dude, let's do this together. Let's, let's partner. And so we really did. Uh, we went away to uh, Nashville to a conference for like four days that whole time. We're like dreaming together of what this could be. We're putting plans down. We're coming up with like, what are we going to call it? How's it going to work? You know, all, all this stuff. We totally did it together. And, and, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And then fall came and we launched 2005. And we had folks that were in college all the way up to folks that were in their 50s. And, but we were trying to do something a little bit different. Now, um, A lot of folks that were in this community really kind of were hoping or wanting uh, like another Mars Hill. And I really felt the pressure to be uh, another Rob Bell in my teaching, all right? Uh, I had taught middle school students and high school students. I'd taught a couple times to adults, but this is my first time that I was teaching adults consistently. And truth is, I sucked, like bad, because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I was trying to to be a voice that was not my voice. And uh, as time went on, the first few months, like I could just tell, man, this isn't going that great. Now, there was something else going on at Calvary, though, that I had no control over, had nothing to do with me. Uh, Calvary, for uh, a few years prior to that, the, the hiring of staff had been doing this, but the giving had been doing this. And at some point, those two lines meet, okay? And so Calvary had realized that they were overstaffed and needed to shave back some positions. So I first heard about this uh, near the end of November and found out um, that 
one of the positions they were going to cut was the college ministry position. And so I was told at the end of November, uh, right, actually at the very beginning of December, um, that I was going to have to tell Greg that his position was no longer available. Uh, now, Calvary tried to be uh, kind and conscientious to, to, I think there was five or six pastoral staff members that, that uh, their positions were eliminated. Um, they did uh, some severance, uh, but that, that's never an easy thing for anybody, ever. doesn't matter what the reasoning is. And so I had to go to my best friend in ministry that really wanted to do what I was doing, and I had to tell him that he was no longer going to have a paid position at the church. Uh, not only that, but, but I wasn't doing that great of a job leading it. Not only that, but we had still not hired a middle school pastor yet. And so there was folks within the community that started asking questions uh, um, like, well, Torn, why don't you just go become the middle school pastor again? I had folks actually come and say some pretty difficult things to me personally of, if you continue to lead this thing, it's going to die. Why didn't you just let Greg do it? Uh, Greg never said those things to me. uh, But Greg had made some other comments that I knew he wasn't super thrilled Um, But Greg and I sat down after I had a very difficult conversation with him, and and we decided together, we said, what would it look like to show the church what unity means if we continued to lead this together? Me on staff, full-time, you as a volunteer, but you helped create this thing, so what if we lead this together? So that's what we decided. In fact, we had to announce it to the community that Greg's position was no longer going to be there. But Greg and I, together, were going to continue to lead Missio Day. I'll be honest, I was feeling pretty insecure, though. Uh, I didn't feel like I was doing that great of a job. Not what I felt like I probably could. It just wasn't happening. Uh, I felt insecure because there was some folks who were really unhappy with the decision that Calvary had made. I began to feel insecure when I noticed that Greg was having meetings with those people fairly consistently. When I asked him why he was having some of those meetings and not inviting me to them, uh, I began to realize that um, some of the discussions they were having probably weren't awesome or unity-producing. But Greg was doing way better than I would have done had I been in his position. My insecurity began to get the best of me as well. So I actually went to the elders and I said, hey, look, this is the scoop. Um, You know what happened and that I had to release Greg. Uh, um, There are folks that are saying that they're not sure that I am the guy to lead this thing. And so I said to them, I have stunk lately. And if you'd like me to go back and be the middle school pastor, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't continue to just uh, live in the space that, that it is right now. It's just too difficult. And the elders, uh, in their kindness, um, were actually very encouraging. They said to me, they're like, look, um, we get that this is really hard. Uh, we also believe that God called you to do this. This was not some decision that we just willy-nilly made. Uh, We want you to be in this position, and we believe God's not only called you, but God has gifted you, and you are the person to do it. And they said, "And, and as much as you want to try to figure this thing out with Greg, I don't know that it's actually going to be best for the community. So I went back to Greg. This was about a month later, and a lot of this was my own insecurity 
And I had to say to Greg and then to his wife, we're going to need to ask you to step away from the ministry right now. Doesn't feel very good, does it? It didn't to me then. It doesn't to me now. This was the family that they had had for the last couple of years at the church, and then we had done this thing together, and yet I don't think he trusted me at the time, and I don't I know I didn't have trust in him at the time. And it was tough. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up this morning to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. So Justin shared with you about uh, a little bit of Paul's. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, We've got some ushers that are coming down and they'll hand you, they'll grab you a Bible if you want to follow along. Acts chapter 15, uh, what's happened just before is what Justin preached on two weeks ago. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church. They've done what's called their first missionary journey. They went around to the region around uh, kind of where the two of them grew up, Barnabas and Cyprus, Paul and Tarsus, and then they went up a little bit further uh, into what is now eastern Turkey, okay? Uh, They came back to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council happened about what it means for Jews and Gentiles, what it it looks like for Gentiles to really be engaged or fully in the church, and they take this message back, they're hanging out in Antioch, which is their home base, and uh, then they say to each other here in chapter 15, verse 36, some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. These are two giants of the faith. Godly, gifted, called. They had served together. Crazy hardships they had endured together. They loved each other, and Paul's like, hey, Barney, I don't know if you call him Barney or not, but sounds good to me, Barney, let's go back to those churches that we started, and let's come and bring the the news from the Jerusalem council, and we'll encourage them and strengthen them. And Barney's like, yeah, man, we should totally do that. Like, that last trip was crazy, but it was amazing, and I want to do that again, and hey, uh, let's bring my nephew, John Mark, with us. Now, John Mark had come with them on the very first missionary journey, but he only made it to one of the first big cities that they got to, Pamphylia. I don't know, John Mark was young. We're not exactly sure how young, but he was quite young at the time, could have even been like a teenager at the time, and uh, uh, he bails, like it's too tough, he misses his mom, I don't know what it was, but John Mark bails, go, goes back uh, home, and now... Paul and Barnabas want to go again, and Barney wants to bring his nephew. 
we should bring John Mark with us. And Paul's like, are you crazy? Why would we do that? Don't you, did you forget? He deserted us. He left us. And there's such a sharp disagreement that like the Wonder Twins, like the, the, the powerful duo of Paul and Barnabas, they split up over it. I love the Bible. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I love the Bible. One of the reasons that I love the Bible is because the Bible doesn't ever sugarcoat stuff. Like, Luke could have very easily have written this entire story, and he could have completely left out the disagreement over John Mark. Didn't need to have it in there. He could have just said, uh, Paul decided to go with Silas up through Syria, strengthening the churches, and Barnabas decided to bring his nephew John Mark back to their hometown of Cyprus and minister to the believers there. Didn't need to say anything about the disagreement, so why does he? And, and furthermore, who's right here? You've got Barnabas, right? He, he's literally, his name means encourager. And he's trying to like give his nephew a second chance. Like he believes in him. He sees the potential that's there. And you've got Paul who's like, man, the gospel's too important. There's people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And we can't have somebody who's going to be half-hearted in this. Because it's going to just drag us down. Like, we, like we're going in this like enemy, like difficult territory. We need somebody who's going to be strong, that's not going to be weak. And I, I generally, even though I probably am more like Paul, when I read it at first, I'm like, but dude, Barnabas is totally in the right here. Like, you got to give John Mark a second chance, man. Right? Pro probably because I know how many second chances I need. And third and fourth and fifth and 20th and... And so my heart kind of gravitates towards Barnabas. But here in the text, it flat out says, the church commended them. Say, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. They send Paul and Silas out. doesn't actually say that about Barnabas and John Mark. Now, there's no reason to believe that the church wasn't excited about what Barnabas and John Mark were going to do as well. But certainly, after 2,000 years, you would assume scholars have figured out who was right and who was wrong. But you know what? Nobody knows. 2,000 years later, we're still, nobody knows. Was somebody in the right? Was somebody in the wrong? What we do know is that there was a sharp disagreement that came up. So I'd like to make three observations, if I can. Three observations. Number one, even the godliest of leaders at times have disagreements. Okay? Even the godliest leaders, even the godliest of people at times have disagreements. Nobody's perfect, not even Paul and Barnabas. Now, God did not desire this disunity. I promise you that I know God is always on the side of unity. He would not have wanted this to happen, but none of us are immune to having a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ that is not easily resolved. Number two, disunity is never in God's plan. So even the godliest of people have disagreements from time to time, disagreements that actually separate, but disunity is never in God's plan. There's not going to be disunity in heaven. You know, I have to worry about, am I still going to be having that issue with my BFF from eighth grade, you know, over whether I looked fat in skinny jeans? <laughs> I don't know why that came out. I'm not sure. <laughs> there may be times that conflict is unavoidable, right? That it's unable to be resolved in a way that allows for unity in the short term, but disunity is never God's plan. 
Number three, God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign. And now, now here's why I know this, all right? God uses this split to minister not just in one area, but now to minister in two. Was it what God wanted? No, I don't believe it was God, what God wanted. I don't think that God did this. I, I think this was, had something to do with someone's pride or someone's something, a disagreement, a misunderstanding, uh, harsh words, uh, uh, pride, somebody's ability to see uh, promise in someone, someone's uh, uh, ability to be realistic about what, what is true right then and there. I, I don't know exactly, but I do know that God is sovereign. Why? Well, because in spite of the split, God then winds up having two teams that get sent out. Barnabas and John Mark go down to Cyprus and wind up having an amazing ministry down there. And Paul then takes Silas with him, and they go up into Syria to those churches again. God uses it. You know why else I know that God is sovereign? It's because two of the churches that I've worked at started in similar ways. So Calvary Church, where I worked for 11 years, back in the early 1900s, there was a guy by the name of M.R. Dehan. He started a ministry called Radio Bible Class. That's what most people kind of know him from. And M.R. Dehan uh, was a doctor. He had gone to Hope College for, I think, a year, then went to med school, uh, graduated from Zeeland High School, uh, wound up becoming a doctor in the Byron Center area. Which, any Byron Center folks? Okay, there, yeah, there's a couple. All right. So uh, they, they called it the backwoods because it was the backwoods back then. Now you're like the thriving metropolis of Byron Center. Uh, but uh, M.R. Dehan almost died, and while he was in the hospital, uh, he told God, God, if you'll spare my life, I'll go into ministry. It always sends a little bit of a, of a draw, a calling to that. And so he, uh, he, he lives, and he goes to seminary at Western Seminary at, at Hope College, um, becomes a pastor of a church called Calvary Reformed Church in Grand Rapids. He's there for a few years. The church is growing, gangbusters. Like 700 folks was a really big church at the time. And uh, he starts having some theological beef with the Reformed Church of America, the RCA. That's the denomination that he was connected to. And uh, the beef gets to the point, it's about infant baptism, whether he's going to baptize infants or not. And uh, he's like, fine, uh, forget you guys, I'm out of here. And they're like, good riddance. Not what God would desire. Not what God wants within his church. He winds up starting then a church called Calvary Undenominational Church. <laughs> like, like, stick it in your face, RCA. We are undenominational. Uh, and that church winds up growing gangbusters as well. Now, I don't think that God desired or wanted Calvary Church to start the way that it started. But I do know that God, in his grace, saw not only the RCA continue to flourish in many ways, but also Calvary Church. Calvary Church is running like 4,000 people today. Uh, they've planted a number of different churches. People have had their lives transformed and changed as a result of the ministry of what God has done there. God is still sovereign. Same thing happened at the church that I was at in Holland called Ridgepoint. 
Ridgepoint was a church that was all together in a CRC church, and some of the folks didn't like how they were doing ministry and thought that they needed to care about the lost a little bit more. And some of the folks that were there were like, yeah, but if we do that, it's really going to change our church, and it's not going to feel the same or look the same, and we really love the community that God's done here. And, and, and these folks said, well, fine, we're not staying, we're leaving. So it was about the most amicable, amicable split you could have, but it was definitely a split, and there were definitely hurt feelings. And 200 people left that church, and they started Ridgepoint Community Church. And Rich Point's running like 2,500 now, and they've planted a couple of other churches, and God's changed the hearts and lives of many people. Was it God's desire that those things would happen in that way? I actually don't believe so. Is God still sovereign, though? Yeah. Yeah, God was not surprised by any of that. He wasn't surprised by what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. And God actually wound up using that to do beautiful and amazing things, because that's what God does. He does beautiful and amazing things with folks who are broken. But what happens, though, what do you do when disagreements cause separation? What do you do when disagreements cause separation? I think that what God desires from us more than anything else is the pursuit of restoration. When there is separation, God desires more than anything else restoration. So, how do we get restoration? I actually think that there's three things that the Bible Two things that the Bible says and one thing that I'm going to tell you, all right? In order to engage in restoration, we have to be a people of forgiveness. A people of forgiveness, right? The Bible is clear that forgiveness is something that we offer to one another because Christ has first forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32, I'm gonna, we're going to read off some different scriptures. You can see them up here. You don't have to try to follow along. 432, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? That like, surely not, Lord. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, as many times as necessary. Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I think Jesus is actually using hyperbole here. uh, But there is a truth that is connected. If we are unable to forgive others, then how can we show that we experience the love of God in his forgiveness to us? Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers of all time. Uh, probably mostly because he liked to smoke cigars a lot, but that, that's a different story. Um, he does say this, though, and, and I love this quote. He says, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. I believe that with all my heart. I will not tell you that it's easy. But when we choose to forgive someone, we not only release them from the debt that they owe us, but we actually release shackles from our own hearts and minds in doing so. 
The second thing that restoration requires, it requires forgiveness. And the second thing is restoration requires that we choose to love one another, right? This will drastically change how we think of people. If we love them, as John says in, or excuse me, Jesus said it, John quotes him in chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. So this isn't like, if you feel like it, when it's convenient, this is a command to choose to love. I give you this command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, now check it, this is huge. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. We usually read it at things like weddings, which is great. It absolutely works. In fact, with your spouse, these may be the hardest things to do. But it's not intended just for spouses or marriage. It's intended for us as the church. Paul says, and this is the same Paul that got into the sharp disagreement here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, and let me say this too. He writes this, because this is in the letter to the Corinthians. He writes this about a decade later than when this dispute happened. I'm guessing that Paul is learning some things over the course of his life. And that this gets added, or this is why some of these things get written. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And this is kind of what Paul's talking about, these missionary journeys here. I mean, when he says, if I give everything I have to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that's exactly what the missionary journeys were. He says, if I do all that, but I don't have love, if I'm not still choosing to love the people that I'm serving, the people that I'm serving alongside, I don't have anything. I gain nothing. And then he goes on because it's one thing to think about love, like love is this like warm, fuzzy, like, you know, it's like a cotton ball with light behind it. You just want to like hug and like, oh, we all love love. Until he actually starts getting really practical of what love actually looks like. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can I just tell you that even me sharing the story at the beginning is still difficult and tricky? Because I want you, I want you to feel what I felt. And sometimes I, I think I probably want you to feel what I felt more than I want you to feel what Greg felt. And what does it look like for me to really love Greg? Now, just so you know, I talked to Greg about sharing this story uh, a while ago, and he was cool with it. But this is still hard. It's one thing for me to talk about. It's a whole other thing when I actually try to live it. Time is the third thing that helps with restoration. 
Time adds perspective, it calms emotions, time helps to heal hurts. Necessary. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need time. But we're not perfect. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is the same Paul that had the sharp disagreement, who's now writing to one of his protégés, Timothy. And this is what he says. Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. This is the same Mark that he didn't want to take with him back in Acts chapter 15. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He is helpful to me in my ministry. I don't know, we don't have it recorded how this thing got worked out. But what we do know is near the end of Paul's life, A, he's probably mellowed because time does that, right? But Mark has also become instrumental and what Barnabas saw in Mark had come to fruition. In fact, if we were to quote the four Gospels, we would say, Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark. That's John Mark, who had deserted them at Pamphylia and had been under the tutelage of his uncle who didn't give up on him, who saw the promise, and Mark becomes one of the writers of the New Testament we have. And Paul and Mark, and Barnabas as well, had re-engaged friendship and love. They had restored. Forgiveness had taken place. Love was true and real. Paul had probably had to learn some of this, which is why he writes about it in Corinthians. So Greg and I leave that day, and I feel terrible because I've just had to tell him that he can no longer even be a part of the community. He's already lost his job, and now he's lost his community. And I had to write a letter that one of the leaders of this service, this, this community, uh, then read to the whole congregation the next week. It was brutal. Was some of it deserving? Maybe. Was a lot of it because of my own insecurity as a leader, as a teacher? Yeah. Could it have worked out with two perfect people? Two perfect people, maybe. <laughs> Not two normal people, though, probably. And Greg and I didn't live very far from each other. He was about five blocks away. And I knew we were going to run into each other because we like to go to the same coffee shops and take walks around our neighborhood. And It was wintertime, so thankfully there wasn't a whole lot of walking. But about two months later, uh, I knew that I, I can't have this guy who had been my best friend in ministry the last few years. And now there's nothing. And so I called him up. And I said, hey, man, can we get together? And we got together over coffee. And we just talked. And it was still pretty raw for both of us. 
I apologized because there was things that I needed to apologize for. And he apologized to me for some things that he needed to apologize for. And we hugged each other. And from that day on, we started regrowing our friendship. Now, Greg and I never had the privilege of working together again on the same staff. But when I see Greg and his wife, we're happy to see each other. We're happy to see, we, we embrace, we catch up on life and what's going on. There's not this awkward weirdness between us because both Greg and I chose forgiveness and chose love and allowed time to do its work because God is always on the side of unity and restoration. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if there's some relationships in your life that have been damaged. Maybe because nothing you've done, maybe it's because of something that's been done to you. My question is, have you sought restoration? Now let's be honest here. Restoration requires two people. Restoration cannot happen without two people. But God still expects from us forgiveness and love. And then we hang on to the hope of time that it might mellow us all. Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? That you need to release from the debt that they owe you? Is there anybody in your life that you need to start choosing to love, as difficult as it may be, so that the possibility, the hope of restoration can come again? I just want us to close our eyes. We're going to take just a couple of, uh, of seconds just to sit with God. So just close your eyes, and in this moment, just say, God, is there a name, is there a face that you need to bring into my mind that I've got some work to do? Maybe there's somebody that you've been thinking about for the last 15 minutes because God has just been pounding it into your heart. Take the time right now to just sit with God and say, God, how do I forgive? How do I love? Help me to take that next step. Jesus, we want to be a church that is about unity because, Jesus, I know you are about unity. It's what you prayed for so that the world would know that you're truly God's son. Father, you want unity in your bride. You know because we are imperfect that there will be times when disagreement will arise and separation will occur. God, would you allow us to be a people who seek restoration who choose to forgive and choose to love even when it's difficult so that we can create space for your spirit to, to, to do what only your spirit can do. Restore, redeem, renew. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.